0: Hello again, everybody. Uh, this is your host for Looking Back Moving Forward podcast. This is Anthony Harris, and I am so happy you were able to tune in today. I'm delighted to have a chance to share this time with you, and we're going to get right into some topics and some subjects that have been going on out in the, in the media and around our country that have uh, caught my attention. And the first place I want to start is with the Green Bay Packer quarterback Aaron Rodgers. As some of you know, he has been uh, suspended for a game. Uh, to, in fact, today's game against Kansas City because he has not taken the COVID vaccine and and he has not been truthful about his immunization status or his uh, COVID status. Uh, back in August, I believe it was, he claimed to be immunized, and by being immunized, he was not being exactly truthful and straightforward with people because. There's a difference in being inoculated than being immunized. And in, in his world, being immunized simply meant that he was <clears throat> going through some homeopathic uh, kinds of remedies and, and treatments, things that were not authorized or approved by the, by the FDA. And what made it even worse, if it can get worse, and it will get worse, I'm going to share something else that he, he said. Um, he contacted or he consulted with Joe Rogan about how he should proceed with his treatment with uh, uh, not just he i don't know that he actually contacted uh, contracted uh, uh, covid but he was looking for ways to get around getting the covid vaccine that's the bottom line he was looking for some shortcuts he was looking for some alternative ways to protect himself so he contacts somebody who has absolutely no Background in medicine has no idea what he's doing, but this guy named Joe Rogan, who I don't know much about, I think he was somebody with the uh, with one of these world wrestling organizations, ah, something like that. Maybe somebody can tell me what what uh, who he is, and he's one of these people probably who is famous for just being famous and really doesn't. And he has a big following, I'm sure, and a lot of people were listening to Joe Rogan when he talked about the fact that he was not going to get. Uh, the vaccine he had he got COVID, and he was trying to self-medicate and trying to d- take zinc and all these uh, vitamins that, and that's going to keep him from getting COVID. but he he ended up getting it so this is a guy who is has limited or no knowledge about how to actually treat a deadly virus but yet aaron Rogers says that's who he consulted with he consulted with joe rogan about how best to treat his uh, how, how to treat himself not just treat himself but how to uh, prepare himself or immunize himself uh, against the the virus so he was again he was not straightforward with the league he was not straightforward with the nfl players association you know, the media and he got caught he got caught and the nfl players association doctor as well as the league doctor said those remedies that you have been talking about those treatments you've been talking about those things to prevent you from getting COVID, they don't work. So we're not going to accept this notion that you have somehow immunized yourself with these unorthodox, unauthorized kinds of, uh, of treatments. So he was he was suspended for a game. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. But that wasn't the worst thing, in my view, that he did. Yeah, it was. I, I say it was the worst thing, and there was a worse 1.0 and, and here is the worst 1.0, was that he had the audacity, he had the nerves to say that he was, he was thinking about Martin Luther King, Jr. Because Dr. King urged people, if there's an unjust law, you have a moral obligation to disobey that law. And he invoked the name and the presence and the, and the legacy and the memory of Martin Luther King, Jr., to justify disobeying the rules of the NFL. Now, wait a minute, Aaron. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his life. He went to jail. He was, he was beaten. I mean, he was nearly... So many terrible things happened to Dr. King. He led a, a great movement. That's the right. That's the major thing. He led a great movement. And he had a philosophy about segreg- laws of segregation. That's what he was talking about these laws in in the south that prevented black people from going uh, to certain restaurants or sitting in a you know, on the front of the bus those were the laws the man was talking about he wasn't talking about whether or not it's it's just for you to get a vaccine whether a law says you should or should not get the vaccine so I thought he just did a, 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 a it was insulting to the memory and legacy of dr king it was it was a, a, a I don't know, very feeble attempt on his part, and I'll be kind in that way, a very feeble attempt to justify his his disregard for the rules of, his, of, of the football, uh, of the, the team that he plays for, the Green Bay Packers, and for the National Football League. And what he failed to understand as well is just a, a simple statement of logic, is that, Aaron, you take the shot, not just for yourself. You take the shot. To prevent others from getting infected with the virus, so if you're not, if you're not protected with the vaccine, you have the potential for spreading that virus to your teammates, and and that's that's not that's not what you should be doing. He calls himself a critical thinker. That's how he. That was a quote from him. He said, "I'm a critical thinker, and I've done my research, and I just don't think I should be taking this vaccine because." I'm allergic to something in it. He has a, a number of excuses why he won't take the vaccine, but he is—he's just let his team down, and he—he—it's—it's it's a selfishness on his part, as well as a lot of those other people who are anti-vaxxers. I'm not saying everybody who has not taken the vaccine is—is is an anti-vaxxer. There are some people for medical reasons or for religi- religious reasons. They—they they know that the vaccine helps, but something prevents them. From taking, and I respect that people who have um, immune uh, system issues, or people who have diseases like you know heart conditions and, and diabetes, and some of these things that they they should not be taking the, the the vaccine. I'm I understand that, and that's certainly a legitimate deal there. But when you start talking about, I, I'm just not going to take this. I'm a I'm a critical thinker, and I'm going to sort this out myself, I'm going to consult people like Joe Rogan, and, and, and you, you, you have the potential there of, of not just hurting yourself, but your teammates. You could get, you, you could be either asymptomatic or symptomatic, and because you haven't been, you haven't had the vaccine, you are potentially infectious, and if you infect infectious, then you can infect other people with that virus. I just think again, it was selfishness on his part. It was um, just mind-boggling um, to, to try to invoke the, the legacy of Dr. King's struggle for racial justice in this country as an excuse for him to not obey and go by the rules of the NFL. You know, it's, it's just a low point. you know I, I just think he's going to pay a price for this, I predict. He's already lost the endorsement. Of a company, a healthcare company in Wisconsin, it'll be interest interesting to see if uh, other companies for whom he's a spoken a spokesperson will um, take some action because you know n- number one he 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 did not tell the truth about his his uh, COVID vaccine status. He he said he was immunized and he just did a little play on words He was immunized, but he didn't he didn't have the vaccine, and then he. He goes in and consults with a quack, somebody who has no idea, no medical training, and said, this is my source for deciding how to deal with COVID. And then uh, he tops it off with this dumb statement that he feels like he's Martin Luther King. He can, he can relate to what Dr. King says. So Aaron Rodgers, you have... <laughs> you have done yourself and your team and your league and your community a terrible terrible disservice and and i predict that you will come to the realization at some point that you made a you made a terrible error in judgment you are not the critical thinker that you claim to be if you were a critical thinker you never would have gone to joe rogan for advice on how to deal with covid if you were a critical thinker you never would have compared your situation with that of dr king no, sir. You are not a critical thinker. You may be a good quarterback. You're the reigning MVP in the National Football League, but that does not say much at all about your abilities to think critically. And um, all I says God bless you and bless you. Hope your your teammates don't uh, don't get sick. Another issue that's come up um, in the news, and I've been I think a lot of people are following this case of Ahmad uh, Aubrey in. Um, in Georgia, as you know he was um, he was he was attacked he was killed by by three white men and he was out jogging and they thought he was some kind of criminal, which is the case many times when people they they see young black men as as predators, they see them as a menace, they see them as Lawbreakers, they see them as criminals and all of that. So they they go in and confront this man with that mindset that he must be doing something illegal because he has dark skin and he's a male and him, he must be up to no good. And they follow through on their, their racist thoughts about this man and killed him. And now the, the, the case has come to court. It's, it's gone to trial now. And um, the jury selection process was quite interesting if you've been keeping up with it. Uh, there's only one black juror on that tr- on that case only one and these three quiet guys their their lawyer uh, I guess did what he or she was supposed to do which was to have a jury that would be sympathetic or more sympathetic to their client their clients and and I guess they knew full well if they got some black jurors on there they were not going to be sympathetic to the client so what they did they they, with their um, the, the whole process of, of selecting a jury they they get to just kick people out of the pool they, they I'm not sure what they call it um, um, but anyway they, they they tell a person before for whatever reason we don't want you on the jury so they did that with most of their uh, potential uh, prospective black jurors in fact the, the judge took note of that and he basically said this jury was selected in a discriminatory way but as a trial judge there was nothing he could do about it he could not say i will not seek this jury because they the the defense attorneys and the prosecutor they went through the process they did what they were supposed to do but their intent was to have at least a, well obviously a majority white jury that was a defense's strategy because they think they can get a Not a fair trial. They can get somebody who will be sympathetic to the 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 so-called threat that these men said they felt when they shot and killed Aubrey. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. And another case in Louisiana a few years ago, where a gentleman by the name of a black guy by the name of Ronald Green was um, pulled over by the Louisiana State Police. I believe it was in Shreveport, and. I'm getting killed and the the police officers said he was killed by um, an accident uh, it was his car crashed and he he died from his injuries from the car crash but since then they have the FBI has been involved in investigation they have learned that that was not what caused that man's death. It wasn't a crash it was some brutality inflicted upon him uh, by these Louisiana state police officers and I predict that's going to gain some traction here, and and we're going to be hearing more about that. Um, also, in New York City, uh, the the mayor of New York has told um, public uh, servants, police, firefighters, and all that they have to be vaccinated, and they gave he gave them a deadline. I believe it was this past Friday to to be fully vaccinated, and the police union said, no, 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 no. We're going to we have over ten thousand. Officers who will refuse to get vaccinated. And you cannot run this police department if you have 10,000 people out of 10,000 officers out of work. Well, lo and behold, guess what happened, folks? Only 34 New York City police officers did not get the vaccine. 34. And the police, police union claimed that there will be over 10,000 officers who would be. Uh, who would refuse to take the vaccine and therefore would, would go on to unpaid leave. And for those 34, I, I would just have to say good riddance to them. Um, you know, a, a police department needs, you know, a, a viable uh, police department that's dedicated to integrity and service and protection of its citizens. They need every police officer that they can, that they can find. But they also need police officers who will obey the law. And the law was that you must get vaccinated. When they say, no, 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 we're not going to obey the law. Then I say, you don't really need to be a police officer. And the the silver lining in that is um, those 34 officers, that's 34 fewer people who are potential um, infectors. You know, if I can use that term, they 34 fewer, fewer people who go out and infect other people with the, the virus. I'm not saying all 34 are, have uh, COVID, but the fact of the matter is they are unprotected. They have not taken the COVID vaccine. So that's, there are 34 fewer people on the street who come in contact with the public, even with their colleagues, and they will not be able to infect people, at least in, in carrying out their duties. They still may infect some people in their private lives, but, but they will not be able to do that. Wearing a police uniform, so those those are some things that are, are going on. I think we we have to continue to monitor what's going on on the political landscape. As we know, uh, Virginia had a an election this past Tuesday, and the Republican Yonkin beat Terry McAuliffe. And people are wondering, is that the does that spell the end for the Democratic Party? No, 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 no. I I think Yonkin was. Um, he seized upon a, a wedge issue, a social issue that resonated for a lot of whites in Virginia. In fact, uh, it's not just white, but there there are a number of Hispanics who, uh, for whom that resonated. In fact, I saw a statistic the other day that over 53% of Hispanics voted for Youngkin, and a huge majority of, of white women voted for him. And, uh, and part of the, the appeal from this guy is that he has taken, he staked out a position of being against critical race theory. And you've heard me talk about critical race theory many, many times. Um, I can, I could spend time here telling you what it is, but i it'd be quick to tell you what it's not. It is not something that's being taught in school systems anywhere in this country. Critical race theory is something that's taught in law school and graduate school. I have had a number of students whose dissertations I directed or were on their committees where they use critical race theory as their theoretical framework and their theoretical orientation. And that's where it is. But kids in elementary school, middle school, high school, they're not exposed to critical race theory. And but again, the the, the right wing has captured and, and seized this theory and and put a frame around it that says that. This is evil. This is uh, something that you have to, you've got to stop it because it's going to uh, hurt the, the psychological makeup of our kids and it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. It's going to make them feel shame and guilt and all of those things. And that's not what's going on, folks. It's <laughs> not what's going on. And, and I think what, they've, what the, the Republican Party and Fox News and all those who perpetuate this, this big lie about critical race theory, is that they, it touches an emotion, it touches a feeling, and that feeling of anger, that feeling of racism, that feeling of all of those anti-negative thoughts and feelings that people have about race in this country. They just don't know what to call it, but now they have a name, they have critical race theory. I don't like it when black people do this. I don't like black people talking about slavery. I don't like black people talking about systemic racism. Well, let's just put it in the category of critical race theory and let's just lump it into this bucket and, and we'll just call anything related to a discussion about systemic racism or slavery in this country, we'll put it in the bucket called critical race theory and we will just throw it out the window and you can't talk about it. And that's what it's actually come down to. where these local school board elections where they we've seen the election of people who won on one issue and that was that they were going to get rid of critical race theory. Can you believe that? Get, trying to get rid of something that doesn't even exist. But what they're actually doing is that uh, it's about censorship, folks. It's about censorship with a flavoring of racism there. Um, there are certain books and certain ideas and certain um, parts of our history that uh, white people don't want white kids reading about. They just simply don't want that to happen. They, you know, they think this, this this white fragility thing is going to be so... So pronounced with them that somehow kids are going to start, white kids are going to start learning the truth about slavery and about systemic racism, that that's somehow going to to damage them psychologically, and that's that's what a lot of parents are concerned with, and I just think it's 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 such a, a divisive wedge issue, and I, I lament that uh, that side, the 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 right wing the. The Trumpers and the MAGA heads and all of these people have just taken uh, something and, and they've run with it. They've been successful with it, you can tell. At a gubernatorial election in, in Virginia, lots of these school board elections around the country, they have been very successful in trying to persuade people, particularly mothers, that sometimes, not sometimes, but being exposed to a certain thought or a certain truth, is something to be avoided. Don't talk about slavery. Don't talk about systemic racism. We just don't want kids to do that. There was a case where, um, you know, I think I've shared this before. I I used to get invited, and I'm not sure if I will this year, I would welcome the invitation to speak to a group of middle school kids at a local junior high school, a local middle school. And and I'm always invited by the... uh, instructor for the class, uh, to talk about my experience of growing up in Mississippi during the Civil rights movement. And, and always in my stories, I talk about discrimination. I talk about things that happen to me because of my race. I, I talk about those individuals who try to inflict violence upon me and, and violence upon other people. And I'm waiting to find out if I'll get invited to come back to make that presentation again. I suspect that I want that I won't get invited. Um, my friend may invite me anyway, and I think it may kick up some dust. And, and I'm sure if I start talking about, start telling the truth about my experience of growing up in civil rights and, and, and segregated Hattiesburg, there will be some students who will go home and tell their parents that I was talking about race and racism, and they will say, call the teacher in, maybe call the principal, maybe the news media and say, we we can't have anybody coming in talking to our kids about that stuff. We don't want them to know about it. And you see how detrimental that is to the development, the intellectual, social, psychosocial development of kids when they don't hear the truth. And they, for some reason, the parents for some reason think that withholding the truth from them is somehow going to protect them, protect their psyche. But these kids will also have to live in the real world. When they graduate from, from high school, they go out into the world, and they, if they don't know the history, and they've been deprived of the opportunities to learn about the history of racism in this country, and out of their own ignorance and their racism, they go and make a statement or do something that's going to cause them to maybe lose a job. You know, something, something may happen because they never were taught that this is, this is not part of the history that you need to repeat again. So um, those parents who are, who are just um, adamant, I'll just put it that way, they're adamant about not letting their kids learn about race and racism. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things too, that I think that we have to fight back against that. You know, We, we have these people who are doing things, and they're, they're not allowing kids to read a, a book about Rosa Parks. Uh, because there's a book cover where there's a white police officer standing over uh, standing up and looking down at uh, Rosa Parks on the front of the where she refused to get up from her seat on the front of the bus. And there are some parents in some school districts say we can't we can't even let the kids read about that because it shows this white guy doing something oppressive towards this black woman. and that if these kids, see this white guy in being an oppressor that's going to cause them emotional distress it's going to cause them emotional harm psychological damage so let's not even let them read that but then one of these days they're going to somebody's going to ask them about Rosa Parks and say who who's Rosa Parks nobody taught me about that they didn't let us learn that in in school it's censorship this is what they do in dictatorships this is what they do in tyrannical governments is that they the government tells the teachers what they can and cannot teach. That is wrong. The educators should know pedagogy, they know curriculum, they know standards, they know what to do to teach kids to become uh, good citizens, to become uh, conversant about social issues that they, and, and how to participate in this democracy, how to move this nation forward. Teachers are very, very good at that. And unfortunately, Politicians and the, the naysayers, for regarding uh, critical race theory, they are they're winning, but we still have to fight back. We have to resist. We have to say no to this nonsense. And also here in Texas, uh, I think it was the Fort Worth uh, state legislator, last name is Kraus, K R A U S E, who has gone a step further. He's done something that's really remarkable. What he has done, he has sent letters. To every school district in the in the state of texas and he has a list of books that he doesn't like he has a list of books that that talk about gender and sexual orientation and race and culture and because he thinks those books will contaminate the minds of young people he is asking all of these school districts to identify books in their library that are on his list and if they're on his list that he doesn't like He's calling for them to remove those books from the library. But you know what's interesting about this is that particularly for, I say, middle school and high school kids, when you start telling kids they can't read something that you're trying to tell them that is taboo, that you're censoring them, they're going to find a way to read it anyway. And therein lies the, the, the stupidity of trying to uh, protect kids or keep kids from learning and reading about these things. They're going to find out. They're going to read it and then they're going to ask you, why didn't... Why do you tell me about this? Why, why, why could not I find this book in the library? I had to go some other place to find the book, and and these adults and these school board members are going to have a, they have a tough time answering those questions. My own experience with library censorship stuff was when I was a school board member, back in the, oh, I was a board member from '84 to '99 in in Commerce, Texas, and there were that was a group of people in the community who wanted the school board to vote to remove a couple of books from the high school library. And these two books had won literary awards. They had gone through the vetting process with the uh, committee in the school district to allow that book to be placed in the library. The book was not required reading. It was on a reading list, but it was not required reading. But there were a couple of uh, more than a couple, there were a number of parents who were outraged that, that we would even have a book like that um, on the bookshelf. And, you know, they brought it to the board's attention at a school board meeting one night, and they, they gave excerpts. They, they handed out excerpts from the book, and they found the worst passages in the books, or I won't say the worst passages, but the ones that perhaps were more controversial with, in terms of language and so forth. And as I read it myself, I said, wow, this is some really strong language here. But I, I eventually came to the realization that if, just because I object to these words it doesn't mean every parent will object. And I should not have the power to substitute my judgment for theirs. Those are legitimate decisions. And if they don't want their kids to read the book, then they should tell them, don't read the book. But if there's a kid whose family uh, does not mind them reading the book, they should not be deprived of that opportunity. So we ended up voting to keep the books in the library. And, and I, I'll further reason that this is what goes on in tyrannical governments. This is what goes on in dictatorships, authoritarian regimes. The government starts censoring. They start first with the books and they start trying to control what people think, what they can read, what the music they can listen to. All those things are, are part of, uh, of the playbook of being, being authoritarian. Being like China, being like Russia, being like some of these other countries that don't trust their citizens to um, to think for themselves. I think the government has to do it for them. So I was not about that. And then the ironic thing, again, was that uh, a lot of kids had not even heard of the book, hadn't even thought about it. But once the parents who opposed it made such a, such a fuss about it, guess what? They couldn't keep the book on the library shelf long enough because students wanted to read it. And and that's just a lesson about um, when you tell somebody they can't do something, watch watch what happens. Censorship doesn't work, and and I pray and hope that this this movement going on right now, this anti um, CRT, what they're calling CRT, and this this movement towards censorship and authoritarianism. I mean, we we've been in the middle of this drift towards authoritarianism for some while. And and it started with Donald Trump, and it's going to continue. You know, supported by uh, media like Fox News and One America Network and Newsmax and all these right wing um, news outlets, because they, quite honestly, do not believe in democracy. They want to see the democracy fail, and they want to replace it with something that is more authoritarian. And my my prediction is what they really want is a theocracy. They want a government that is controlled by uh, a religion, uh, Christianity, but more specifically, they want a certain brand of Christianity to control the government. Uh, they don't want liberal Christians like myself to be a part of the government. They want conservative, uh, evangelical, right-wing people. Um, Christian nationalists to be in charge of, of our government. And we have to be careful about it. We just can't brush it off as a bunch of, uh, of nincompoots and, and knuckleheads and and, and and people like that. These people are serious, and they're gaining momentum because there are people listening to them. There are people who who look for easy solutions to very complex problems. And, and, and once you promise people, you know, get rid of these books... Get rid of the CRT, your kids are going to be fine. No you know they, they, they just they just can't do that. Well, the last thing I'll leave you with I, I attended a, a really, really good concert last night at, um, here in near my home. My brother is visiting me from from Florida, and we went to visit went to a concert last night and we sat with this this couple who were uh, very much in agreement with two of us, regarding mask wearing and uh, getting the vaccine and so forth. And, and, and the woman who was sitting there, she, she talked about some relatives and friends of theirs who, who constantly say they're not going to get the vaccine because they don't know what, what's in it. They don't know what's going into their body. And I said, and these same people who will eat a hot dog, they'll eat a hot dog. And not worry at all about what's going into the body. You don't know what's in a hot dog. You don't know what's in a piece of bologna. I mean, it goes into your body. You have no idea of what's all going into it. But yet you will say, no, we don't want this vaccine because it, I don't know what's going into my body. But you'll eat a hot dog. Anyway, uh, she liked that idea. She said, can I share this with others? I said, yeah, yeah. Because if it if it helps one person to go in and get that vaccine and, and rid themselves of this um, this baseless claim that, The the vaccine doesn't work and it's going to do things to your body, alter your DNA and magnetize your your, your body and all those crazy things. If you get one person to uh, dispel that and purge themselves of that, then by all means, use it. Well, I'm going to pause here. I'm going to stop here. And uh, also, I want to recommend a book. I am listening on Audible uh, Peril by Bob Woodward and Bob Costa. If you have not read that book, if you're not listening to it, please do. Uh, you will you will kind of shake in your boots when you read just how close our, uh, we came to a coup, how Donald Trump and some of the people in the White House so desperately wanted to overthrow uh, the government, wanted Joe Biden not to take office. They wanted something to happen so that Mike Pence would do something that he's not constitutionally allowed to do. And they were hoping that the result of that would be that, When Mike Pence hit the gavel, he will say Donald Trump is now our new president uh, for a second term. But that that didn't happen. But they came very close to it. There were some very powerful people in the White House and in the media who were calling for that. So I recommend that book highly, Peril. With that, I'm going to say goodbye, and we will see everybody next time. Bye-bye.